You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Closer Than Mishpocha with Eitan Kobri. Eitan and I recorded last month a conversation that dealt with some of the stellar essays that he wrote about luminaries of the last century from his book, Greatness. The conversation was about an hour and a half. Our editing team and I decided that we were going to reformat the conversation. And last month, we dropped the part of the conversation that dealt with Rav Aaron Kotler and the Boston Rebbe. Tonight, we are going to be dropping the part of the conversation that was about Neri Sroll, specifically my old alma mater, and Rav David Kronglas, Zeichar Tzadik Levrocha, and Rav Ruderman, the Rosh Hashiva, Zeichar Tzadik Levrocha. So you're going to be hearing the conversation about those two men. But I think uh, for those especially who have connections to Neri Yisrael, I think that this conversation will be satisfying and they will recognize within the descriptions of both of these men, the greatness that still lasts in that institution. So now, without further ado, let's jump into my talk with Eitan about Nerusro coming up right now. Let's take it to some place where I feel a little more, it isn't just legend. For me, I sort of lived in that environment, and that was in Nerusro. Um, I, I mentioned to you off pod, you know, when you write about Baltimore, Nerusro, and the personalities there, I, I get the impression that you would have wanted to be part of it. You know, you're a Staten Island and you write in, one, in your tribute to Ramosha. Uh, a lot of it is from your own memories of Ramosha and the Staten Island camp and other things. But you were not part of Nair Yisrael. You didn't have a chance to to see Rav David or have Ashbo from Rav David or Rav Rudiman for that matter. But I think I'm correct in saying that there's something about the Nerysrol experiment and success that Eitan Kobri applauds. There's no question about that. Sure. I I actually once did a piece for Mishbacha magazine in which I went down with my wife and we spent the Shabbos there. It was the Shabbos right before the beginning of Slichas, one Elul. Uh, and it was called, you know, 24 hours on Yeshiva Lane to experience what a Shabbos was like in Ner Yisrael, and it was a wonderful experience. Right, and I think that Elul has a lot to do with who we're going to talk to about next, Reb David, because I think Reb David, even I came after Reb David's Petira, I came during the year of the yard site of Reb David's Petira, but it, it, he helped entrench it. And, and I have to say, and I'm going to be honest with you, that it was so heavy that it was it, it, it was almost unreal, especially in contrast to the way things were when we came back after Sukkot. And in fact, you even mentioned that in, in, in the art in, in, in your tribute to Reb David. Let's talk about the, your article about Reb Rudiman first. We have to give schus to the Rosh Hashiva before we get to the Mashkiach. This was an interesting way to approach this Reb Rudiman piece. You decided to actually have three talking heads, and. Yeah, you had the input from the three of them. Uh, I, I don't know Rav David Singer. I, I had this host to hear from Rav Nachman Klein. Often, as you know, uh, on this platform, uh, we, of course, had Hespedim for Rav Shmerel Shulman, 
And Shmuel Shulman is obviously someone I was very familiar with in terms of hearing about him from Rav Nata and from his Svarim. But I don't know if you had a tape recorder with you or you were taking notes at the time, but I think, you know, it's a, a, a really a wonderful, uh, you almost feel that you're sitting in front of these three um, and you allow them to paint most of the picture of Rudiman. And you filled in a couple of, uh, of blank spaces through as, as you know, each person was talking. Uh, that must have been, I mean, it, it wasn't just a shtick for you that this is the way I'm going to write this article. You must have been on cloud nine after you finished. How, how long was that conversation? That took takes about 15, 20 pages in the fifteen pages in the book. About an hour and a half worth. And you had your notes with you. You had it, everything was on tape. What did you have? Everything's taped. Yeah, I do right. not. Uh, I do not take notes. All right now, we've talked about in the past eight times about how, as a writer, you know, it's expected for you to shore stuff up to to sort of give it a certain seba and mesovev, as we say, uh, where one point leads to the other. Did you have to do a lot of editing, or is or a lot of this verbatim? You know, as with all my pieces, I I, I like to uh, compare uh, writing these sorts of uh, pieces to uh, being a, a tailor, seamstress. You've got a lot of different pieces of cloth. Some of them are going to end up on the cutting floor, um, but the the, the real uh, trick is, is really knowing how to stitch things together, how to cut and how to fit things in, in a way that it's not a crazy quilt, but rather it's a, uh, hopefully a, a, a beautiful garment, uh, you know, uh, smooth and, uh, you know, with transition, with logical transitions from, you know, one point to the next. So it's, uh, you're sewing something to enclose these personalities in, in a glorious way. Right. So, so it's almost like, and and maybe, of course, you will write a new piece about Rav Nachman, Klein, Zohan, Ovarochan, or Shmuel Shulman, because they are personalities in their own. They probably deserve their own uh, articles. But Rav Nachman was a great storyteller. Raconteur is a better term in, in his case, yeah. I was mesmerized by him when I was 13 years old, when he would come to the yeshiva and speak. It was sort of like the Magid has arrived. And it wasn't just Magidus. You could tell that it was built on lum, a lumnish approach to the world that he had. He, he knew things in a lumnish way. He was a a balabas, like there's no, right? You can't even call him a balabas. The same thing, of course, is true about Shmuel Shulman. You know, Shmuel Shulman, of course, took his, you know, had his stint as a rov, and then, of course, you know, was involved in investing and whatever he did. Listen, bo- both of them, you have Shmuel Shulman was a stockbroker by day, right? You know I mean, an alamdan muvik and Bucky Nifla at, at at night, and then uh, and, and, and during the day, and, and during the day, and every other time. Yeah. And Nachman Klein, for his part, was part of a family, I think it was an auto detailing uh, business or something right. in the automotive line. And you'd walk into the office there, you know, uh, somewhere in the in, in the in a Baltimore slum, if I'm not mistaken. And you'd find him, you know, fratifed in, uh, in, in uh, you know, in Erukivega or Shagazarye. I, what I heard about from Nachman, I've never verified it is, is that he was the only person to whom Ribero Salavecha gave Rishos Knisa when he would visit Yerushalayim to come in and sit, on, sit in on the shear in Brisk, hmm. which was uh, not, not an easily won, uh, you know, uh, uh, access. I, I was friendly with his sons. 
both of his sons. One of them was a year older than me. One of them was a year younger than me. Uh, and I was friendly with them. And they didn't look like your typical American kids. They had payas. Uh, they had very short hair. And it, it, they knew about baseball and football. They were American. But you could tell they had a different type of tzura. And, and, and when when their father came, I sort of understood how special he was. And he, of course, is able, uh, along with Roshmero and the, and the other person, David Singer, uh, to create, and of course, this is where you put it together, a, a, a picture of Rudiman, and we've talked about last time, that you usually don't see. When I came to Neri Yisrael, Rav Rudiman, especially for us high school kids, was considered beyond comprehension. He was on a mountaintop that we were supposed to just shake and quake. He was the God of Ador, though people didn't realize it. I mean, it was a little bit strange, you know, because I knew about Ramesha and I'd heard about Rabbi Yaakov and others. But Rudiman was really the one that was the great, great Lamdan. And there was very little attempt to humanize Ravurdaman. Um, he lived in a different part of the campus at his house, and he gave sheer once or twice a week, but he was very much removed as far as we were concerned. Very different than your interactions with Rav Moshe, uh, whether it was in camp or when he would come to visit the yeshiva. We were scared. We were very, very scared of him. Uh, we were taught to be scared. That he was that that maybe somehow somehow we're going to be able to 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 perhaps even give extend a hand out to him, but when we would see him on Shabbos, it wasn't even natural for us to come over and wish him a good Shabbos because he was he was the safer Torah embodiment, and how could we defile him by having a personal interaction? I'm telling you this the truth, and and I think. That's one of the reasons, Eitan, that I don't, I have a very mixed uh, feeling about my whole Nerystral experience. And maybe they thought that was necessary to protect him. I don't know. Maybe the yeshiva became so large. But what you do is restore Ravurdaman as a relatable human being, as, as someone who uh, obviously is, was gift, had the gift of brilliance uh, in uh, Hasmada. Uh, an ability to uh, to be machadish to chazer, as, as you say, fifty blot a day. That was only in the afternoon, and those things are, are one side. But the stories that you have of his concern, his connection to uh, the talmidim. I'll start with what I think is really one of the greatest uh, stories that the Nachman Klein mentions. And uh, it's on where he says the following. He says, let me tell you something that I recently told over Neil Sachag in Baltimore and it floored everybody. But I can tell you, I was there and an eyewitness. We used to eat in the dining room on Shabbos. And one Friday night, the Rashiva came in with the Rebetzin. So Bochum moved off their table and the Rebetzin politely sat down next to the Rashiva. We started to sing Shalom Aleichem, but the Rashiva told me to stop everybody. So I gave a clap. And everybody stopped. Afterwards, he told me this. And apparently it's from Slabotka too. We have to give Shalom Aleichem to the Malochim. And it was only a few months later when a few Chesidah Shabachim went to the Mashgiach, Rabdavid, to appeal to him to speak to the Rishiva about this, that finally they again sang Shalom Aleichem. And 
again, it is incredible that, again, this is the godless Adam, Shita, and especially the love he had of American B'nai Torah and Garrison Boulevard in Baltimore, that they have to hold that in a way they're hecher than Malachim because of, of, of the job they're doing, the years they're spending, even though not 20% are going to become Clay Kledish, 30% Clay Kledish. This was a place that, that sanctioned college, that, that had a, a, a hashivas from Ludechol. But when you're here in the yeshiva, Rav Rudiman held on Shabbos Kedish, Rizan and Hechev and Malochim. Quite astounding. And, and, and I think that's part of what, you know, he loved Elohim. I mean, I heard it's not in your, it's not in your, uh, in your tribute here, but I once heard Rav Rudiman say, I heard this from uh, a Talmud of Rav Rudiman, it was my Chavrusa, uh, Yisrael Horowitz, he said, Rav Rudiman was once asked, you know, this is the greatest Yitzhahara for Sarah Shishiva. He says, the greatest Yitzhahara is a Yinga Balkishvan. <laughs> to have someone who's, who's a smart fellow who could hop and to spend hours just like he had been the Yitzhahara of Chaim Lazer and others who spent hours and hours just having the Gishmak of, of learning yeah. with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, I also want to. Mark on Nachman Klein's story about, and and I I think I I just want to add one little element to it, which is pretty obvious, although you know you, you didn't say it, that you know, we talk about Chaim Brisker, but we know that with World War One everything was uh, with Bahala. Uh, every city had to sort of move. The yeshivas were going everywhere. And it seems like as your as you point out, Minsk was somehow a, a spot. That was a ir miklat for a number of places, including Slabotka. And Rachayim Brisker was there, and uh, he came to the see the Slabotka Bochram learning in whatever base medrash they had established themselves in Minsk. And uh, as he says, the Bochram were learning with Kaili Kailis when suddenly at 20 minutes to 10, there was a clap. Musa! Immediately, everyone closed his Gemara and opened his Musr Sefer and began learning Musr. Again, at precisely 10 p.m., there was a second clap. Mariv! And Mariv began immediately. Witnessing the scene, Rav Chaim was surprised. The Bokhrim could interrupt their learning so abruptly and remarked, Ich bin oft on. As you say, I'm amazed at what a clap can do. And their Shashiva, that's Ravudim, and remarked, that was Slabotka. Seder should start and end exactly when scheduled. What I get from the story, which uh, you probably know where I'm going, is that Rav Chaim held the Gresta Ziskite is Limanatera. The Limanatera is Metair, like a mikveh, and it's Amkus, just like we were talking about with Rav Aaron before. The Torah, I mean, it was everything. I felt, I think part of Rav Chaim's comment was almost a, a, a vestige of the wars against Musser. And he was saying that, how could it be that for Musser, you're going to stop the Givaldikite of learning Taira and they could do it? You see what a Klopp can do? And and I, I, so I think it's, it's, yes, it indicates how organized everything was. But I think that's really what was behind Rav Chaim's statement. Rav Chaim understood diktuk azman oich ganz fine. I think part of what Rav Chaim 
and, and this was a battle I think he probably was fighting till the end of his life, was that, that the B'nai Torah don't even need the Musr. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, also, you know, we knew this, by the way, only because people had noticed Rav Rudiman had a gartel that you could sometimes see. And um, what you point out again is that Rav Rudiman starts from Chassidu uh, Shemeshbocha. He comes from Chabad Chassidim. And uh, it, it's interesting that he became the, the Spitz, you know, well, let, let me say it better. His Torah, Eitan, in Avedas Levi, is not Spitz Litvish Alumnus. Yeah. It's very much Kalatsiana type of Sharfkai. Kalatsiana, Polish Alumnus, that's what it is. And I think he had a great affinity for, for the Polish Lamdonim, for the Avni Nazars and the Menachem Zembas, et cetera. You know, I think, uh, yeah. Right. And Rabbi Yosef Engel, it's, 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 it, and you can see when he gets into his Marochas, the Mar- the way he connects a Yesoid in 40 places in Shas, the Bikiyas that he has, the type of Achreinim that he brings, which is interesting because that really wasn't the Derech Halimud in Israel. As much as he was Maimid, Talmidim, by the time I got there, that wasn't the way learning proceeded. It was more uh, a version of a did, did Rav Ruderman, I, I've never been able to clarify, did Rav Ruderman ever say a black shear in, 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 in Israel in all the years? I don't, I don't know if that's the case. I know he gave a shear, Chloe. I attended a couple of his Minchas Chinach shearim. I snuck out and then went downstairs to the Yeshiva Bismedrish on Friday morning. It, it could be that his approach was also in learning was something that the Bokram, although they appreciated his brilliance, it didn't sell and it didn't really, you know, bring the, the, the guys, the people vote with their feet. <laughs> so it might be. Speaking about feet, uh, I, before we leave Rav Rudiman and, and, and his, uh, how personal you make him, this was a story that blew me away. Nachman uh, Klein said, that he wanted to be Makayim Shimush Talmidachachomim Bapoyo. In other words, even though we have Shitas Rashi, that Shimush Talmidachachomim is, is learning Gemara and understanding their Soros, he wanted like the Rambam to Makayim Shimush Talmidachomim Bapoyo. So he came to the Rebetzin. He said, Give me something to do to be Mishamish the Rosh So she said, Okay, why don't you polish the Rosh shoes on Shabbos? Okay. So she gave them to me. So I'm reading here from your book. On Sunday, the Shashiva called me into his office and said, Don't do that anymore. Slavodka is the kelm. And meaning, and he is in Slavodka, right? Neri's role is Slavodka. Um, so what happens if one day you want, you want me to give you smicha? And I'll have akarazatev because you shine my shoes. So it'll be Nagias. In other words, even though there's the de- there's the Musa in it, Shabbat, right? Because right? I still can't help having Nagiyas. So even though that's the derech in Chazal of, of, of people walking with you, holding you, doing stuff, but doing Azah Avoida of being Mamish, doing the shoe shining, it's so it, it's such a sign of Achno and connection. I, it wouldn't be right for you to have this relationship with me. Yep. So that's one sensitivity that Rav Ruderman had. But here's the part that really got me going. So <laughs> what he did instead was 
maybe we can go get a shoe shine together. <laughs> so I had a car. We went to a shoe shine stand on Belvedere near Pimlico Racetrack. And he, he sat in one chair. I sat on the other. And we had a boot black shine our shoes. <laughs> so again, here you have a, a Ravruderman that I, 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 I so, um, I'm so, uh, reg- I so regret that uh, we weren't able to see the Ravruderman who would go with the Bacher to go get his shoe shine. Um, again, the, the uh, and even you know the the, the Ravruderman that had a sense of of of, of style. The Staatsgeist, that he dafka wore, you know, he had he had his kapotas tailor made, and they were colored during the during the weekdays, and only black on Shabbos. It, it's unfortunate that really, by the time you and I reached our maturity, many of these gedolim who helped shape the yeshivas that we gained so much from were not in their more active stage, and I guess their handlers were stopping them. And maybe their own infirmities were stopping them. But well, again, I, I think I, my, my experience was a little bit different than yours, I think, in that regard. And it's really, it's, uh, it was, uh, I, I felt uh, sad when you were describing the, the remove uh, from Ravrutamin, you know, in Narius Royal, because I had in Staten Island a very different experience uh, where, you know, still I was uh, from uh, when I was. Only in twelfth grade already, I was able to attend uh, Ramesha Shiurim. He would come and spend one entire day each week with us. We would daven with him, hear the shear from him. We daven again, mincha with him, and so on. And we had a very, uh, very uh, close-up access to him. Besides coming for Yom Narayim and for Shavuos and so on, and uh, it's unfortunate that that wasn't the case with Ravurimit. Right. I, I think part of it was the size of the Masifta, the Machina. Uh, I think that was part of it. I want to move to Rav David, who uh, is, I guess, the other, the yin and the yang in their Yisrael in a way. But just one other story, which I think is is is, is a wonderful story. There was a, a person who owned a Thai company named Silverman who supported the yeshiva. He wasn't from, but he said that he wanted the Rosh Yeshiva himself to be the efficient and take care of the Leviah. That it should be done according to halacha. So, Rav Nachman Klein tells the story how, first of all, he went down to the funeral home, and they had bear, the family had picked out a casket that was worth five thousand in those days. You can imagine <laughs> this was the Cadillac uh, of caskets. So, first of all, he said, "Take them, take him out of that casket and put him in, of course, in in an orin of halacha." But this part really got to me, because he could have sent the Bocher to do this. On Friday night, the Rosh Hashiva walked the three miles from his home on Forest Park to the funeral home on North Avenue. And he came in and he found there was a Shomer sound asleep. The Rosh Hashiva didn't want to wake up the Shomer. And although he was a bit of an istinus, and being in proximity to a dead body was a tough thing for him, he stayed there through the night to watch the mess. I, again, the uh, the haftocha is a haftocha. You can imagine he could have sent the bocher, he could have sent someone. He says, "I personally spoke to this man that I would be achroy for his burial," and that is something that I think again 
is, is, is speaks to something so much beyond as great as Avedas Alevi, Avedas Levi is. The really the Aveda that this that the Ravrudaman Alevi put in was was really something magnificent. Let's move on to Rabdovid. I have to tell you that um although Rabdovid, as I said, was as I told you off pod, had died just a number of months before I arrived in the yeshiva, his shefa, his shadow, was very, very strong. In fact, all the years I, I was there, I think I, I, I heard about Reb David perhaps more than even the regular Magid Eshir who were there in the base Medrash. And I told you uh, earlier today that I think of all the pieces that I've read so far in the book, I think this is the one that you write with a lot of your own personality and 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 and, and connection, we all know that what your talent Eitan is. But sometimes you can tell that an author is bound to his subject, and I think that 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 Reb David does that for you. I'd like you to explain why Eitan, you put so much more into this portrait of yourself in terms of uh, the passion of your writing, the metaphors that you use. Uh, I don't know. First of all, sometimes it's, you know, it's not readily explicable, you know, why I'm uh, drawn emotionally toward a particular subject. I, I often uh, get uh, emotionally involved, you know, with uh, the people I'm writing about. But um, there's no question about it that Reb David was this, you could say he was, uh, this was Musser in action. But he, he wasn't just this abstract Musa personality. He was a person who was a, an Adam Godel Miyad in Tyra. He, he said the highest daily share in, in Ari Yisrael is a person who, who wrote very uh, well-accepted Svarim in Lambdas. Actually now, just in the last couple of years, they've come out with his Shiurim, in addition to the Sefer Divrei David that I mentioned there on Zroyim. You know, but he's a person who really put principles of Musa into practice by the way, since you're mentioning Divrei David, and this will give you maybe some respite to uh, respond, I heard first heard of the Divrei David when my second year in the yeshiva, when I, we were learning Kedushin of Estrig uh, Shovel Ilan. And I remember Rav Kalman Weirin, who was a sign, spent two days saying over Rav David's shtickle on that. And I remember wondering, okay, this was the this was the Mashkiach, the one of the Magideshir, Anzroyim, and, and that's how the first thing I ever heard. And I remember it was two whole hours, in other words, one day and a second day, going over the Divrei David. Last night, based on large part the power you put into your in the writing here, and I mentioned, you know, some of the, you know, when you talk about Rab David, you know, the smelting furnace of formative experiences, the searing kiln of hardship and heartache, the really heart wrenching connection uh, that he had to his wife that he was only married to for twenty five years, the book that she wrote, the pamphlet that she wrote in his memory, uh, which I, I I read a number of pages of it last night. But it was, again, I was preparing to talk to you, and it was about definitely way past midnight. So I decided, oh, let me go up and check out Reb David's uh, shtiklach, because I'm learning your shalmi, learning your shalmi orla now. And I spent about 
probably about an hour and a half going through uh, his pieces on Orlan. I just finished Chala. And I could tell you that they are very Yisraelistic, very well thought out, especially considering that he did not have Svarim when he was writing them. You know, he had a, a limited library. Uh, he probably, you know, he, he was he, he was able to ready them with Fus a little bit more in 1962 when the Sefer came out. But it, it so much shatters the the concept that we have of the Mashgiach, you know, being this a fromak, a bumbler, a guy who's trying to like catch up uh, with the Bochrim who are who are brilliant. Here you have Rabdovid, and, and as you point out, was able to take anyone in Lumdus. He might have been, in some ways, even with Ravrudim in there, the the biggest Lamdin, the way we understand Lumdus on campus. Yeah, and I have to tell you, you know, you 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 sometimes open up some of these kovetim that a yeshiva will will put out, whatever name any yeshiva, and you see that you have the Rashi yeshiva and the ramim, you know, they're they've submitted shtiklach Taira and lamdus, and then what's left for the mashkiach? It's got to be a shmuz. It's almost invariably, it's the mashkiach is, is giving is submitting a shmuz. The idea of of the mashkiach being someone who can go toe to toe in lamdus and in in Tyrin in Kiyas, you know, with 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 the Rashi Yeshiva is a very unusual thing. I, there is such a th- there is such a person there to Israel today, but again, very unusual. Rabbi Yitzchak Yeruchim Berodiansky, the the Mashkiach Ruchni of Kol Tyra, son-in-law of Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach, is someone who is a, a a Mashkiach in the fullest sense, who's published Svarim on Moser, and yet he's got about eight volumes in some of the Shverstam Masechtas and Shas. So in Lambda. So that's but it's a very unusual phenomenon. But one more thing about Reb David is is that he took it a step further, and that is that in his Sichos Chachmu Musar, which are his Svarim. I mean, I, he used to put them out as contrasim as pamphlets. Right. I have a I have a couple of them here on my yeah. shelves. Now they've been compiled into hardcovered Svarim. They 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 gathered them together into volumes, but those Sichos Chachmu Musar. Are really, if you look at them, they are a, a synthesis of Musa and Lambdas. Yes, he takes the Rishonim that he quotes, he he analyzes them. He goes through a sugya in, in Midas, in Yerushamayim, in, in, you know, in, in Yonei, uh, let's say, the Mishpat of Sarah's uh, Mechuva, etc., and he goes through it in, in, in Mamish, in a Lambdash approach. Which it's interesting again, if we talk about again vis a vis Rav Rudiman, who was uh, a Talmud and, as you say, a son. Of the altar from Slabotka and Slabotka Musr. Again, maybe I, I don't know my Musr pers- personalities well, but I, I don't believe he had the same uh, Musr Ashkofa as, as, as the altar, uh, Rabdovid. Rabdovid seemed, again, it was, it's, you know, the altar did a lot of chokhma and personality and differences. Um, he seemed to be much more uh, by the book. Than the type of elasticity we sometimes hear, you know, from the altar where Putner has told us about. Again, you know, I, I, he was in Mir, and Mir was it a Musr yeshiva? I, I wouldn't characterize it as such. No, right. So, and and yet he had a Mahalach and Musr, as you say, that spawned about the Malay Musr that you were influenced by in Staten Island. I had this course, of course, to know of Gershon Weiss as well. And by the way, you know, you mentioned we mentioned his wife's uh, her Yiddish memories of the twenty five years she had with her husband. 
she says that ich schreibe nicht keine schöne Prosen. Ich bin bloß afroi, was gedenkt. You know, I'm not writing beautiful prose. I'm just a woman remembering. But you mentioned that, that Rav Gershon Weiss uh, used to read this Kuntras. This is what he read before Rosh Hashanah and before Yom Kippur, a wife's memories of her, of her husband. And really, Rav Gershon and Rav Chaim Mintz, uh, as you say, they became the great Bali Musser and who they were through being connected to Rav David. Being rubbed off at Shiurim, and it's 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 fascinating that when we hear that the Shiurim that Rabbi David gave were an hour and forty five minutes every day. I mean, we hear about this in Eretz Yisrael, and this says something about the lack of attention span that, that we're dealing with today. It, it's very, it's yeah, it's it's uh, you're pointing out something that's uh, very unusual for for among the class of Mashkichim and of Bali Musar as a whole. This idea that he really did not, to our knowledge, he did not learn in any of the classic Mosul yeshivas, and yet emerged and became what he did become. And it's a little bit of uh, analogous to Chaim Shmulevitz. Who was sort of pushed into becoming the Baal Musa. Once, uh, once Rav Chazap had, had died, he had to take the, the mantle. But Eitan, I, I resist comparing Rav Chaim's Asichos um, to Rav David. Rav Chaim is much more fantastic in terms of inventive chidushim in Chazal and and Yisoidus that no one has ever even heard of. I'm saying Rav Chaim Shulevitz is is a mechadish of a whole different Yisoidus of Musr that you don't even see anywhere else from his tremendous brilliance. I don't know if Rav David Crumglass, again, who knows how to measure giants Rav Chaim had, had a moyach like an Einstein, like a, an a mo, Einstein type of moyach that was being machadish for state. I think what I see by Rav David is extreme discipline and havana and careful yusoidus. I was reading the shtiklach last night, how he was learning up the machleksim and the yushalmi, and how he's connecting it to the rash and the rambam. And like I said, it's, it's, collect the fingers for them. I, I, I was feeling, listen, it's partially Reb David's chus. You know, again, I was not Zoycha, but uh, you know, I, I was able uh, to go back there. I, I also want to mention that uh, obviously, you know, Reb David weren't in Shanghai. Uh, the mirror was in Shanghai. He came to America uh, in, in the, after World War II, and uh, he was still not married. Now he was born in 1908, as your as as your piece points out. He was married for 25 years. He got married after he was already appointed mashkiach. He was a mashkiach in the yeshiva, a bocher, almost 40 years old. And it's really again part of the incredible period of the of the Holocaust and 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 what that spawned. But it also says something incredible about him. The the what it took to to be able to sustain himself without family, right? I mean, if you remember, similar to Rav Ruderman, it was a Yosem. He didn't have, right? They both, in a way, were similar. Uh, they didn't have parents past a very young age. They really grew up as children of the yeshiva. You know, and, and, and I think that that is uh, something uh, that really, I think, explains the Mesiras Nefesh uh, that Rabdavid had, 
when a yeshiva spawns you, when a yeshiva creates you, this is your family life. This is this is what you have. And I thought that was uh, really did a lot to explain why Reb David is still, in many ways, with Reb Kolevsky, uh, and of course Reb Rudiman. It's not just the ghost of Reb David. It's really, in a way, very much the the Ashba is still there. You felt it when you go to Neir Yisrael. Every Elul, you know, is is that way. Uh, there was one thing there that I, I, I really felt every Balhiro should know. And, and part of what you discovered, of course, was that he was a Paisik in Ilchas Nida and other areas of Halacha. As you, as you recount in the book, someone would call Reb David with a Shaila. And even though he knew it was Osir, his answer would often be, I have to look into this and I'll call you back. He'd hang up the phone and say, what can I do? I know the answer is you can't. But it's so hard to abruptly tell that to a person. Better to give him a sense it's a question that needs pondering. And such an edelkite in terms of Paskening. Both of us have had reasons to call Paiskim. And these are Paiskim who we know we're taking their time. And we're stuttering and we're trying to get the words out. Right? The idea that a Paiskim is worried that if he tells you it's us, sir, you can't be involved with your wife. The person is going to feel tzabrochen right away. So the same way you, when a person dies abruptly, uh, the baliyetz is tell him there's been an accident, tell him that things don't look so good before you, you give him you, you drop the bomb. Here too, even as something as elemental as a psak beiser, especially, and it's not, can I eat this ice cream? We know what this is a shiloh about. This is a shiloh about connecting with your wife. And Reb David understood that if you hear the psak usher now, uh, it's going to have a, a jarring effect. And in a way, will maybe not even allow you to be makabo the psak ba'ava. But when you hear it later and you realize that, okay, this must be a shayla, and when it comes back, that's that, that's such a musardika expression of a psak aloha. I've never heard it really put that way before. Now, this takes me really to my old stomping grounds, Pimlico and, and Baltimore and, and, and Rav Rudiman and, and Rav David. Again, I have to tell you, by the way, just for your own sake to know that I did spend a number of hours with Rav Ruderman in Miami when he came to visit the yeshiva. I found out later that this was, this was a prova for me uh, to see if I could be a uh, possible shidduch for, her, for his granddaughter. So I spent a number of hours speaking with him and learning and accompanying him. So I got that chance only when I left, only when I left the yeshiva. And I got to see a wonderful side of Ravudaman that I never saw before. I saw Rabbi Yaakov when he, as I mentioned to you on our last conversation, that Rabbi Yaakov would stay in the yeshiva continuously. I remember when Ravudaman was coming because he had been ill. I remember the way Rabbi Yaakov encouraged us all to come to the airport to greet Rav Rudiman, who was Rabbi Zweig's Rosh Hashiva. And the way Rabbi Yaakov ran to him and the way they embraced each other. They were cousins, cousins. right? And I remember Rabbi Yaakov saying to us how he was the one who was by the Vochnacht, that he was sitting there by the night of the Brismila of Rav Rudiman. So in a way, you are able to restore for many who weren't Zoha 
to really see that type of the humanity of of these these people that form so much in Israel. So that concludes our discussion about these two luminaries, this yin and yang, the great Amkin, Rabbi David Krum class, the Chorif and Boki, the Spitzgeltziana alumnus that was embodied by Ravurim and the Bikiya Satsuma. And I hope you appreciate it and enjoyed it. And we will be back hopefully next month with some more scintillating conversation with my good friend, Ethan Kobri, and closer than Mishpacha. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 